as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Welcome to this week's Speak Up Conversation. I'm Annika Flynn. Do you have the one information brochure about your service despite having clients or families with lower levels of literacy, limited English skills, or a cognitive impairment? Do you provide written information to your clients who are in a heightened emotional state? Are you providing the same written COVID-19 information to all your clients despite their individual communication needs? Or maybe you work with clients or families who are provided with complex technical government documentation that you yourself struggle to understand. I know I can unfortunately answer yes to some of these questions. To help us ensure our written client communication is accessible to everyone, I'm really pleased to be chatting to Kathy Basterfield, speech pathologist and founder of Access Easy English. Welcome and thank you so much for chatting with me today, Kathy. Thanks, Annika. It's great to be here. I think a really logical place to start would be to ask, what actually is Easy English? Well, it's really interesting just to hear you say, um, just in that introduction, exactly what you said. It is actually taking the information that you and I um, wish that everyone could be able to read and make it as simple as possible. So it's actually thinking about the everyday words that the person who is your audience um, uses and then translating that into the written format. We, act, uh, we actually do put images to content um, and I always go from the perspective, well, if I'm struggling to read something and um, if there's a picture there and if it's a coloured picture, I'm more likely to at least have a go at trying to read it or at least try and understand what it might be all about. So for someone who has got really low self-esteem or low confidence, here's another little marker for them. So it's about really thinking about what that person needs in their, in their environment for them. Um, and then the other really important part is around our formatting. Sometimes I think we forget about how much what information looks like um, affects the reader, particularly someone with low literacy. So it's about bringing these elements together to make a, um, a piece of information as welcoming and as simple as we can for that person. And we're not talking about making it babyish. These are for people who actually um, have adult life experience, um, or have adolescent life experience, depending on the age group of people that you're working with. And they then, so they have topics that they need to know about, they need to um, engage with, they need to be able to make sense of what it is that this information means for them. And for many low um, people with low literacy, they actually don't do a whole lot of reading. So one of the biggest challenges is when they read information they don't have that level of deep comprehension that allows them to work out, so what can I do? And so Easy English provides a strategy to be able to overcome some of that. Mm. Now, some of our listeners, Kathy, might have heard of terms such as plain English 
or easy read. I know they're terms I've heard sort of kicking about over the years. How is easy English different from plain English or easy yeah. read? So um, perhaps if we start with plain language. So plain language is um, the international term used everywhere except in Great Britain where they call it plain English instead, um, but it's one and the same. So it's actually taking complex information and writing at a level that someone with uh, good literacy um, is able to read and understand, even if they don't know much about the topic. So that, for example, if you're someone um, who is a health professional and now you've got to read something in the legal space, that it's been written at a level that you can read without having to read and reread it again. They're making it much easier for supposedly all the population. But we know that that's not the case. Plain language is only really useful for, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 56% of the adult Australian population are 16 to 65-year-olds. Mm. And so that really is only meeting a tiny, tiny group of the, the broader population that you and I all know exist. And, in fact, that data is also um, not taking into account people who live in institutions. So people in institutions are not included in that data. And interestingly, during these last 12 months during COVID-19, um, one of the named groups that people are describing as not being able to access information, not because even just physical barriers, but just in general, is people who live in institutions, our group homes, people who live in nursing homes, your young people in nursing homes, people um, who are living in congregate care, maybe coming out of mental health institutions. Mm. Um, the other group there is those who are sitting in prisons mm, or those who are struggling. Justice yeah. yeah, the justice system, those who are perhaps on the edge of the justice system mm. and are trying to keep out of it for um, a lot of reasons. The the other one that comes out is um, the other area that's not included is the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander group. Um, and so the literacy levels that I've just indicated does not include that group. It's not that they, there's not issues there. It is that the cohort that were um, surveyed did not include enough people who of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander identity that they could actually extrapolate to the whole community. So you've got to go and look at some other data um, to look at that. So plain language really only works for those who basically got an upper high school or a tertiary level education um, and it's written in a way that you can actually engage with. So not many people, really. Not really that many people. And we <laughs> right. think about who, who walks in the door, you know, where actually got anyone can walk in the door to, to try and receive services, not just from ourselves as communication specialists, but any allied health professional. Um, so you're struggling with a whole lot of things. And one of the things we often talk about is that, when you um, are stressed, when you are ill, your literacy levels are not as good. Um, and one of the ways to really think about it, if you're not quite sure what that really means, is think about yourself 15 months ago when we first heard about COVID and we had all this new language, we had all these new rules, no one knew what was really going on and someone put a piece of paper in front of you and you struggled to read it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's all of us. Okay, so you can imagine you've gone into a situation, maybe you've had to go to court for some reason. This is information, you're in a highly stressful situation. Your literacy is not going to be as good as what it typically is. So we need to be thinking more broadly about how we actually engage for people who don't even get to that literacy level. And that's where Easy English comes in. So when I first started researching Easy English many, many years ago, um, I actually started with what they do in the UK, which is called Easy Read. And I knew when I looked at that work coming out of the UK back then, 
that I could not visualise one of my clients who had low literacy being able to read it. And I thought this isn't, this still isn't where it needs to be. It's so still too that? complex. It was still, the language was still really complex. Okay. They had really long sentences um, and it was just still full of text. Mm. Once again, take it back to yourselves. You know when you've got to read that journal article and you just groan and you turn the page and you go, okay, I'm just going to concentrate here and get myself into this space and I need to read it. Now you've got good literacy and you're still growing. If you're a, someone with low literacy and you turn a page and it's full of those black marks all over it, you're going to get turned off. It's going to be much harder for you. Um, and so that's what often happens with easy readers. It's quite cluttered um, around its space. So in Australia, um, we started writing what we called easy English, knowing that it was simpler than easy read and one of the simplest things to do is actually go and have a look at some examples of what is called easy english and easy read but um so both of them have been written supposedly for people with low literacy there's a bit of a myth out there that apparently um easy um easy read is for people with intellectual disability or is it easy english is for the people with intellectual disability and it's like well from our perspective i know that 44 percent of people struggle so I don't care what your diagnosis is. If you need some information written in a simpler way, here's some easy English that's going to make it um, easy for you to engage in it. Uh, you know, we talk about communication and, you know, in all our oral communication, we say communication is not a test. You know, we want to be able to interact with people. It's part of our social engagement. This is the same with our written information. If I'm handing over a piece of paper to a consumer to, you know, invite someone to come to something that I'm running, it should not be a test either. It should be something that they can engage with and then have a conversation with it because they understand it at a higher level mm. um, in that space. So we've got this stuff happening, easy read. And in Australia, there are people who write easy read. We also have easy English running in parallel. However, you know, looking back all those years ago, yes, I knew it was different. And I kept on saying easy English, we use five to eight word sentences. Easy read, it's just much longer and it's more cluttered. And anyway, so I finally did some of the analysis on it a couple of years ago. And the analysis is really clear that in easy English, we look at five to eight word sentences. In easy read, it's 12 to 14 word sentences. Mm -hmm. Okay. When we actually count morphemes, so in fact, the average was set, uh, the average in easy English is just is 7.5 and the average of um, easy read is 10.3 or 4. When you add morphine count into it, Easy English goes up only 0.5% to just over 8. Easy Read goes all the way up to um, 14. Wow. So just the and grammatical so, complexity is so much harder for people to yeah. access, isn't it? Yeah. Yep, yep. And so one of the simple things that I actually do in um, running training is to say, let's just use simple grammar. Mm. Let's not use adverbs. Okay? Let's not use lots of comparatives. Um, because the, each of those words is an individual word to someone with low literacy. So rather than adding in big, bigger and biggest, let's use the word very big so that we can actually indicate something goes from big to a much larger size. Um, and then you might use very in lots of other places as well rather than adding lots of other words. So that's one element. So if you're looking at something and going, is this easy read or is this easy English, you'll find that easy English has got um, shorter sentences um, and we have fewer grammatical markers in it. 
Um, I, there's actually someone um, who works as a, a self-advocate and she actually described to me last year and said, Is English has just got so many, so many fewer words into it. I was like, yep, that's, that's the it. Point. <laughs> that's the point. That's right. We don't want to have to read a whole lot. So when I did the analysis, I actually had a look at a whole lot of documents and the documents that had the least, uh, sorry, the documents that we had most to look at and analyse in easy English with the documents had less than 500 words. And when I say less than 500, in fact, it was less than 400 words. But when I did it as a replica, I said, okay, let's round it up to 500. Eventually, we had five documents we started with, and I've been repeating it over lots of different things over the last 12 months looking at COVID. But that's what we looked at back in 2018-19. Then when I tried to find five documents in easy read in the same time frame, I struggled to find five documents that had less than 500 words. So most easy read is much longer. So it's demanding so much more for someone who doesn't like to sit and read. Okay, so you've got those sorts of things. Um, the other sorts of things that we actually have are making sure that, so we have we talk about the grammar and being really simple grammar. Then think about some of the language structures that we use. So in easy English, we don't use any if-then constructs because mm -hmm. that's a complex piece of language that you've got to actually um, you know, interpret. Um, that's something that often comes up quite high in your easy read documents. Um, so in the analysis that we did, I was really upset, actually. We had three. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, oh whoops. Okay, so we've done more research. We've done more analysis yep. since. And in the ones that we were doing, that was something we really had to focus on. Why have we landed with some ifs in here? Oh, dear. In that same time frame, though, in five documents, there were 18. Mm. 18 if-then statements. We don't need to be saying, if you do this, then you get that. Yeah, it's not concrete this. enough, it's, is it? No, no, it's just got to stay concrete. The other thing we looked a lot at is the length of word um, and then and looking at the syllable structure. So we looked at lots of syllable structures, um, looking at the 10 highest words in a document and the 10 lowest words in documents. And you could start to see there were some real patterns around, even if the word only occurred once in easy English, there's a higher proportion of single and two-syllable words. Um, so it's around looking at those sort of analyses that does it. And then, of course, we did some fun things with consonant-vowel consonant analysis as well. Oh, wow. uh, I know. We had really lots of fun. <laughs> we did really bed down and have a yeah. look. Um, and, you know, one of the big significant differences we found is if a word only occurred once in a document um, and was a CVC word, that we had double the number of simple CVC words that an easy read. So what I'm actually trying to find is some repeatable, measurable elements that we could actually start to be able to then analyse to say, well, this is what easy English looks like and this is easy read. Now, that's only looking at the language. You know, there's a whole lot of other stuff that we can look at around the images and how we choose images yes. and the formatting. Yes, yes. Um, and so in easy English, what, um, write, what readers will say is there's lots of white space. And you look at that in an easy read. Um, you then look at something like the images and they'll say, well, the easy, the easy English images are very specific. So because we've got such specific language, we can pick our specific mm, image. That really matches with the that language. That really matches it. Yes, yeah. Yes. And so what we often do is find an example. If, we, if it's sort of a more broad category of something that we're talking about, we'll then pick out an example from someone's life experience to talk about it. So it's about the help you get to take your pills. And so then we'll have a pill box. Mm. Um, so if we're talking about maybe something the staff do to help you at home versus easy read, might say, oh, the staff help you at home and there's a generic picture of, of, home. of home or it might yep. be staff 
Yeah, so it's, you know, the simpler, the more concrete that you can get your language, the more concrete your image is. And then we go and have a look at the research around the importance of the emotional connection between the image that you choose and the connection it has with the text. Um, so, yeah, there's, so these are some of the measurable things. Um, there's a whole lot, of, whole lot more, but, yes, that's sort well, of where it's sitting at. I mean, it certainly sounds like Easy English is more accessible to more people, just how you've described it there. You really are, as you said, with uh, plain English, you're missing almost 50% of the population, if not more. Um, easy English out of those three different approaches certainly seems to be the one approach that would be accessible to the most people, which is what we're aiming for, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think if you can get to the people and you're, present, and you're creating it in a quality way, and it's, this is as equal value as something in plain language, people are just going to accept it. Well, that's what it is. But if you present someone something to someone in easy English and it's a scrappy piece of paper that you've grabbed and photocopied off and six other people have rifled through it, but here's our lovely graphically designed one, mm. of course people are going to take the graphically designed one. It seems to be more valuable. Mm, so all these little bits together um, add up to making it more accessible and more available. Of course, one of the biggest challenges is that most people stick it up on the internet. And before 44% of people struggle with their literacy, the internet's based in literacy. Yeah, well, yeah. well you need to have some uh, electronic literacy to even do a good Well, research. that's right, that's right. <laughs> in fact, you even have to have the internet. And yeah, some yeah, data from exactly. last year said that 2.5 million Australians still do not have access to the internet. Yeah, that's a really so interesting So who are they going to be? They're going to be our consumers. They're going to be the people that we know struggle. And even if you're not quite sure about someone's literacy, if you've got a receptionist filling in forms with someone, they will be able to tell you in a split second. Mm. Um, and even the Centrelink um, people at the front office will say that we know who the people with low literacy is. They bring in all the forms and we have to help them fill it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a really good sign um, to know where they, who those people are because it's such a valuable um, level of skill and power to actually say that we have literacy. It's a privilege, isn't it? It's an absolute privilege that we have, yeah. So, Cathy, if I could ask you to put on a bit of a speech pathology lens. Wasn't that a speech pathology lens just then? Oh, yes, I talked was, about I, I talked about grammar and, you know. <laughs> Very speech pathology. But even more so, if we're thinking of our speech pathology-specific kind of documentation that a speech pathologist might be dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, regardless of the sort of professional space that they're working in, what type of documents could you see as being um, really, that would really lend itself to being translated into easy English? I would say that every single document that actually is seen by the public, mm -hmm. it, you need to think about. But if you're wanting to drill down and think specifics, um, even something like your business card, mm -hmm. how accessible is that? What information does that have on it? Look at your consent form. Um, and so your basic forms, your basic things around what happens when people don't pay or they, they're sick, you know, what are their rights that they have around how many days can they ring up beforehand to actually cancel an appointment or how long, you know, particularly in the NDIS space, you know, that you've got to give a, one, a month's warning um, to actually cancel your service. You know, no wonder people get upset if they don't realise, I really don't want to go over there anymore and I'm ringing up today to cancel tomorrow and then the provider says, well, guess what, you're going to have to come for another month. Mm -hmm. Okay, but the whole relationship has fallen down. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you think about the things that you send home for families to do and then think about the, the resources that you might suggest that family go and look up. Um, how much information are we given? And I'm as guilty as anyone. I want to tell you everything I know about this space. So it's the same when I run training. 
you know, there's so much to tell and share and get people thinking about, but it's about what do they need to know now mm. to actually take a step and take a small step mm. and feel like they're actually in control of that from a written information point of view. Mm. You know, you're the clinician, you're the expert in that space, but what is it that they're going to be able to manage in what you give them to read? Mm. Um, even, you know, and there's lovely research around the number of people who actually don't turn up to appointments, mm. you know, if it's written down. So we send them all a text message. But, of course, if you've got low literacy, that it's still a barrier. You. It doesn't yeah. help you. And that assumes you've got a mobile phone and assumes you've got a mobile phone that has got texting that, you know, how to actually access texting. Mm. And there's lots of people who don't. And I think we need to be asking our clients how they want us to communicate with them um, as well and that maybe sending an email is not the easiest solution, although it's easy for us, that maybe it is a phone call. Um, that we have to send to people because that is theirs. And I get back to thinking that we're actually communication specialists mm-hmm. and it's a bit like the work that Harmony Turnbull's doing as well around plain language report writing. If we're communication specialists and we're not communicating effectively with the people who need support to communicate, what are we really doing? Mm. Um, so it's really thinking through at every level of your interaction and engagement with people about What do they need on the public space? And I think just also ensuring that written communication is at the forefront of what we're experts at. Because I think speeches, we are like we are experts in communication, but sometimes we forget that little written communication bit out the side. Yeah, we're really great at chatting to people with all sorts of different communication needs. But how good are we at actually um, making sure our written communication with the people we work with is also as uh, amazing as that oral communication that, that we're very skilled at using, definitely. And that's where it's really interesting to see speech pathologists come to training and see what they bring to the situation of training and learning the skills of writing easy English compared to, say, someone comes from a comms background. Um, So I have lots of people come who they might be a website writer, they come from comms, they come from marketing, graphic designers, policy writers, you name it, anyone and everyone who has some job to actually engage in the community. And then I've had speech pathologists come and I actually ran a, 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 just a session just for speech pathologists earlier this year. But it was about the skills that we bring to be able to say, oh, okay, so just like Annika said just before, oh, so we're just going to make it simple grammar. Yep, absolutely. And away we go. You and I know what that means. We can actually drive down into that um, the stuff around morphemes versus words when we're looking at a sentence and know that that has a huge difference to someone's level of, um, of understanding and the language they use. Mm. And one of the things I didn't mention before was the number of different words that we have in easy English. And so one of the things that comm staff struggle with is that they've been told for years and years to write things that are really interesting and use lots of different words. Mm. Well, what happens in easy English is that we want you to stop doing that and we want you to use the same simple word every day. Mm. And every time you write it, I want you to keep using those words. Mm. And that's what comes out in that research too, is that in easy English, we actually are using fewer different words to easy read. Mm. It's something like 12% different. And so you go, that's a huge difference in people's reading knowledge, Mm. um, you know, around what they're doing. There's so much that seems really obvious when you sort of unpack it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, you look at it and go as easy as, um, as professionals and as you, when you look at the association and what they're driving around communication access, it all links together that sure we is. need to be putting out best practice. Yeah. 
yeah. as speech pathologists, yeah. not just accepting that what is there seems to be okay. One of the one of the difficulties, of course, is that easy read, particularly coming out of the UK, but also some in Australia, is being driven by people with um, very mild intellectual disabilities. And so one of the challenges is is that it's not about communication in written form is not about demonstrating how clever you are to read but yet that's where some of that drive seems to come from we want to write something as hard as possible to show that we're actually really really clever mm. is one of my you know the, the one of the ways it actually looks like it's happening and we need to be really rethinking that and helping people to see it's actually not about showing how clever you are but making sure that more people yeah, can actually engage in it yeah, yeah exactly yeah. That's the primary um, focus and yeah. yeah, so it's so there's a whole lot of other sort of things that are happening in that space. So yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where we've done a lot of uh, trying to actually engage with government departments to see it's actually they need to be really looking at easy English, not easy read. Well, I can't be the only one actually saying to a government department because I've got a vested interest in making sure that easy English happens. Unfortunately, it needs to come from consumers or it needs to come from advocates to say there's something better out there than what you're paying for mm. because they think they've done it. And so you look at what's happened in the COVID space um, and then around vaccinations and what the government has put out. First of all, it came through Centrelink rather than the health department mm. because the health department don't deal with disability apparently, but that's another issue. It came out six weeks after the first lockdowns happened when people needed it the same day as you and I needed it, that, all that information. Mm. Yeah. And then it was high-level complexity and it was six levels of the computer website you know, the website to actually get to. And so there were these huge barriers to it, um, which, yeah, once again, as communication specialists, just advocating so strongly that it needs to be better than what this is. Mm. And, and here's some evidence to show we can make it simpler and make it still presentable to anyone who needs it. I don't care whether you've had a stroke and a, an acquired brain injury or whether you've got poor literacy or you've got lifelong hearing disability, mm. you know, You've got low literacy, let's make sure you get the information. And I really like what you mentioned about timing then, Kathy. that six weeks later, that's just not good enough. And I think if we're using or we're providing any written documentation, it's got to be sitting there at the same time, ready to go with people that perhaps don't want to access an easy English version of it. It's not something that's an afterthought that's going to come out in three months later. It's something that needs to be considered at the exact time that you're putting that written documentation together. And that ties in really nicely with um, the UNCRPD, which actually says in Article 21 that people have the right to access information in a way that they can understand at the same time as everyone else in the community at no extra cost to them. Mm. So it's not just around the easy English. It's about all the other sorts of methods that people need. But one of the things that we've found with easy English is we've reduced it now down to under 500 words. Mm. We've now made it really simple. That is actually a less costly and often a more accurate translation if you want to go into a different, into a different language mm. because you've got concrete language. We're not talking about airy-fairy, you know, abstract things. And also in Auslan, we've actually given them, here's the messages. Auslan's really expensive mm. to get created. If you've now drilled it down to the messaging that needs to be out there, they can then turn it into Auslan in a really effective mm. way. Um, and we've had feedback from both those sorts of areas about how much simpler it is to translate, um, you know, into a second language and also to put something into Auslan from that. They're not ploughing through all that fluff. In fact, they, have, yeah. they can avoid the fluff. 
aren't they lucky? Well, the, oh, I tell you, Auslan is such a great language for just getting to the point. <laughs> so I could imagine they would really appreciate that. Now, Kathy, just a, a curiosity that I have. Is there anything in particular around the images that you use? Is there a particular database that you use or recommend? Um, where do you get the images? Do we need to consider copyright with the images? I'm just really curious what your thoughts are on the actual images that you use. Look, there are so many image sets out there. And then when you start working with graphic designers, they want to just draw everything, which is lovely. Um, look, we actually started um, in this space with Boardmaker, which is the PCS symbols, which are coming out of, that particularly comes out of the disability space, comes out of special schools, comes out of places where people have had engagement with speech pathology. Um, and we know from years ago that that was a terribly, um, uh, there were lots of very funny images in there. Um, but we modify our images we actually we actually are wanting to create something meaningful the last version of Boardmaker has actually got far more interactive stuff in it um, but we dip into lots of lots of different image sets um, we also use logos when it's appropriate we might use international symbols when it's appropriate um, what we don't do is use happy snaps of things I call them happy snaps because that's often what they start to look like but what happens with a photo is that unless it's a photo of the person who you're actually specifically wanting to meet or the place you're wanting to go, it becomes a distraction. Mm. So someone who's got, um, who, who's a more concrete thinker. So, so just think, visualise someone who's a really concrete thinker. They see a picture of a lady in a red shirt and they see something on her face, but she's got something in her hands. They're going to look at the face irrespective, even though it's the hands that are important. Mm. And they, so it becomes less useful. And also as a concrete thinker, they see that person in their bright red shirt and there's a particular set that does this. And then that person is doing something different in a bright red shirt and they can't take the activity into a new space. They just see that person doing lots of different things. So they're seeing that lady in red doing lots of different things around her life, think that they're really busy rather than looking at it in terms of this piece of information in this context. Mm. Um, so, yes, we'll use photos of people that they're meeting or we'll use photos of places that you go. But if it's, say, a day service, it's about the photos of your swimming centre and your um, basketball court you go to. What's really interesting to actually do things for those of you who are not Melbourne people, I stick up a photo of um, Flinders Street Station when I'm doing training and there are very few people outside of Victoria who could name that place. You know, we think it's an iconic building of Melbourne. Mm. But for people outside Melbourne, if you're not a Melbourne visitor, it's just a very... It's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. So it's actually connected with that. So um, there's a couple of um, uh, image sets from the UK that we use one of them is change people um but you need to look at them look at them really carefully because they use literacy inside their pictures oh. which is a barrier yes. you know we're trying to get rid of all the literacy so we erase the literacy from it and we then look at it and then we color it in so we've got very good at using lots of paint and paint 3d i never thought i'd be in that space um so yes so you know, and you can buy them individually. But, you know, if you're working with vulnerable families, we've done some fantastic, um, uh, there's been some fantastic images created over the years around domestic violence, around um, um, child protection, around safety at home. Um, and 
And so you can go into this set and find exactly what you're looking for in an interaction. And then we use colour to help us actually create a story going through a document. If you're a support worker and there's a particular colour we use in every image that is about the support worker and you're the client in the story, we use a particular colour. So it doesn't matter whether I'm taking it from Boardmaker or taking it from Change People or somewhere else, it's the colour that people go, oh, actually, so it's still we're talking about me as the client and here's the support worker here in all these colours. And it's just another level of giving people some connection with it. So we don't leave our images as they appear in the um, in the image sets. Mm. We actually take them. So change people do that. Um, inspired Services is another one out of the UK. They've just released a whole lot of new ones, once again, unfortunately, but in terms of what they're creating, because they create the images based on the work they're doing. A whole lot of stuff again in domestic violence situations, a whole lot around sexual violence um, scenarios. But what is really nice for them, and they're more they're already coloured, is that they've actually got lots of people in lots of different cultures. So you can pick up someone, you know, you can actually get an image of exactly the same person in a hijab. You can get exactly the same person in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, you know, you can get a South American person. You can get an Indian person. So they're covering a far broader, yeah, yeah and you're getting awesome. diversity. Yeah. What we don't quite have in a UK-based image set, I'm just not quite sure why, is an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person. Can't work that one out yet, but, you know. <laughs> you need to develop that. <laughs> well, no, it's interesting because there's actually a set that's been developed and um, Stella Martin up in Queensland was the person who put me onto this particular group and it comes in a set of, um, it's just for your phone at the moment, and they're called a Digimojis. And they've been created by a Central Australian community and their images are different to what would be out on the East Coast or somewhere else um, in the Australian community. So they've got some lovely images around, say, a willy-willy, because that's something you'd see in the Central Australian community. So there are other things happening um, in that space. But so could I just are... ask, if we're using these documents, I'm just thinking if I'm pushing um, a document together, am I putting a copyright at the bottom to acknowledge those images. I just, I'm just trying to visualise in my head if I might have used images from multiple different sources and, yeah, what would I be doing at the bottom so of the document we to make sure okay. at the end um, okay. of them that, and there's usually something inside the, um, the, the image that you're using or the image set that you're using as to what's possible. Um, so there's another set that we use called the Mound Project um, and believe it or not, if you buy the, if you purchase it, which means you can colour it, you don't have to do any specific acknowledgement. We just do it as a matter of, ha of habit to put it in. Mm. If you're just using it as a free copy, you can only get them in black and white, but you have to acknowledge every single image that you use. Now, they all have a number on them, so you could just, you know, write the list of four or five different images that you wanted. But, you know, you could basically you're buying the opportunity to, so you're purchasing the ability to use it in a variety of ways by actually having the paid version of it um, through that. So they all have slightly different things. You know, Boardmaker, um, you actually have to um, write to them to say this is how we're going to be using it. It's not being used for a communication board. And they usually just come back and say, yep, that's, that's fine. One of the things we're not allowed to use, though, is the NDIS logo in Easy English. That's come through again and again. So we'll actually approach people, or we don't do it personally, as the organisation that we work with, we say you need to get permission to use the logos that are needed. Um, so it might be the New South Wales government logo, it might be um, the, um, say, one of the Commonwealth sort of um, agencies. One of the things we found is that the NDIS will not give permission for us to use their logo in Easy English. Why? 
all their safety and yeah, at all their safety and quality stuff. So any, anything to do with their safety and quality, um, you know, logo or anything like that, um, because they don't want people to think that that's coming from the NDIS, even though they do create content, they do content in Easy Read. Um, well, they get someone to do it externally, but they. Yeah, so they'll, they will put it, their own logo inside their own documents, that, but they won't allow. So if we're doing a complaints document and the process of doing a complaints document is after you've been to your own organisation, you can then approach the NDIS, is that we're not allowed to use that as a logo to put beside their phone number as this is the other people to ring. So we've got around that by um, just using a, a colour of, you know, an NDIS represented colour. We just make a shape to represent NDIS. It's really unfortunate, but that's where they stand at the moment with that. But it's a good one to sort of be aware of. But, you know, we approach banks um, on behalf of people sometimes as well. And once you explain what you're doing, they're often like, please, 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 and can we have a copy of it afterwards, Mm. which is what's delightful. And it's the same thing when we do consumer testing. So we always do consumer testing as part of our work as well, whenever the, the project will pay for it. But they are our best marketers. So we always try and get a copy of what's been created mm. back to them. Mm. Um, and consumers get so much value. You know, you can't put a monetary figure on it. Their increased self-esteem, their increased self-worth, their increased confidence. Um, we actually did a, a huge document a number of years ago and I went down to the staff meeting to present to this lady in staff meeting. She was in open employment. No one knew she was doing this work. In fact, no one knew she could read and presented to this staff and it was rather large resource that she'd helped me work on over many days. And not only did staff go, what's it all about? And she was able to tell them exactly what it was about because she'd read it and talked about it with me, is that she was able to then tell them where all the resources were that they could get help for as well. And so her, the, the staff around her suddenly gave her far more kudos than what she'd ever previously had because she was the helper. You know, she, she came in and did some of the help around the office but didn't really, wasn't really seen as a worker in the same level because she didn't have an email address because she can't use a computer, so mm. therefore she mustn't be able to read you. There's all these yeah. wind-up factors. Yes. But, yes. you know, and when I ring her and say, hey, would you like to do something? And if it's on the same topic, she'll go back and read previous documents on the same topic to make sure that she's up to date and, mm. and you know, and is comfortable having a go at it, mm. whereas previously she's never read anything. So... You know, that's just when they do consumer testing. So you see that value and that self-worth just, just grows. Yeah. yeah. So do you think, Kathy? Um, I'm just curious to know your thoughts. Do you think our speech pathology training is enough to for us to go away and create easy English documents? Or do you think we need specific training to be good at it? Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to say that we learned everything at uni? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that's not true. <laughs> um, look, I... If you knew what you were looking for, you could possibly do it. But I do encourage people to actually come along and as much as anything to see what other people have done and to see what we're pinpointing around it. So we might be good at the language bit, but, in fact, we're useless at doing formatting. Mm -hmm. We like to just squeeze everything on a page. We know what it's like to use an image for a communication board. But now we're rethinking it and we bring a whole lot of knowledge to the use of images and we, we get there much faster. Um, and that's where I, you know, I have been asked previously to just do a speech pathology one, like just a, a two-day training just for speech paths, but there hasn't sort of been a lot of um, interest in that today, but, you know, that might change. Um, but it's about 
we bring a lot to that party already and we could start much further down the journey of it. But one of the values of actually having speech paths in a generic training event is for them to also hear where the writers in the organisation might be struggling and why they struggle. So it's really interesting to see where it, it filters through to um, and what benefits people um, really gain from it. Yeah. So if any of our listeners um, want more information or are interested in completing some training, where would you suggest they go? Okay, so my website actually has um, a whole lot of any resource that we've developed which is publicly available we have links on our website. If it's not on my homepage, it's, um, we have a resources page. Um, I've been sort of mentioning COVID. We actually created over 100 COVID resources last year. All the generic ones are still sitting there. Um, they're on a separate page called COVID-19 resources. So there's lots of examples of things. Please, one of the challenges is that it's so often buried deep in websites that you can't actually find it. Um, our social media puts up lots of stuff that's actually out there. The other place that does that is ideas.org.au. Um, they have been very good at collating um, all the resources over COVID last year. It's one of the jobs they do, and so they'll put a big list out as well. Um, Scope do a few bits and pieces. Oh, sorry, I should say Scope actually do um, Easy English as well, and they might have a list on their website that you can look at. Um, as well. So they're the only two that I know of who are actually doing easy English at this stage. Um, and I run training. I will run training. For, it's maximum of 12 people. It's been online for 15 or 16 months. I never thought I'd be doing two-day training online, but we get the same outcomes. Yeah. So after training, you're allowed to send me a draft and I will do some editorial on it for you, give you some feedback, and they come back with the same issues. So I'm not getting any different outcomes from people doing it. So we used to, I used to do lots of travelling around the country um, to do, run two-day training. Now we do that online. You can request it as an organisation. You can request it as a team for up to 12 people. Mm. Um, but I've also been mentioning, you know, I'm doing some two-hour seminars for people, one-hour seminars. Mm. You know, we do, we've done one on computer and digital literacy, which is another whole area of there's so much here we need to be thinking about in terms of not just our own communication with our own clients, but the organisations that maybe we advocate with um, and reach out to. So, you know, what does that look like? We look at health literacy. There's so much research in health literacy, but that's only taking it to the 56%. Mm. That's not good enough. Mm. Um, you know, we've done some stuff around financial literacy. You know, people who don't understand money, but they're expected to sign an NDIS budget. Mm. How do we simplify this? What do we need to be doing here? Um, around those sorts of things. And, you know, legal literacy is another huge area. Um, but, I mean, the thing that we actually did around with speech pathology, um, when we actually run with speech pathology, was actually have a look at what's actually sitting in the Speech Pathology Australia documentation and how that relates to easy English. And I think that that's really important for therapists to really think about in the 2030 document, but also in the document that we released so this year. Under the Speech Pathology Australia 2030 plan, it actually has as number one goal communication accessible communities. So under that, you could look at Easy English. It also has access for all. Number five point says skilled and confident families and carers. Easy English fits under there. If you don't have a family that understands what their expectations are or what their rights are in you engaging with them, you know, it's sort of uh, doesn't quite meet them. No. 
Um, and that in that area, they talk about, they actually mention, so speech pathology, sorry, actually mention easy English. They say languages other than English and to recognise cultural differences. So, you know, we know we've got a lot of stuff around, um, you know, cultural differences around, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as well. So how does that work in this space? But then we've got our professional standards. And if you look at domain one, which says professional conduct, it says maintain high standards of communication, information sharing and record keeping. And it says we use accurate, accessible communication to respond to the needs of individuals and communities in all circumstances. Um, and I went to what some of the um, earlier briefings around what that means, you know, looking at the quality frameworks or the quality indicators that you've got in your own departments, that maybe that's where something like that actually sits. What do we actually do? And then under, it's also 1.7, advocate for optimal communication and swallowing. And that actually talks about Article 9 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Yes, yeah. Yeah, um, which is the same as Article 21 of the UNCRPD, which is the right to persons with a disability. Yes, yeah. Um, and then the other one, which perhaps is a bit of a um, something to, to really challenge people about how much informed consent are we providing and how much informed, informed consent are we really getting? And it's around providing ethical and evidence-based practice. And if you're asking someone just to sign here and now you're actually going to be doing some stuff around some basic literacy and they can't read that content... What are we really getting conformed consent around? It's absolutely best practice. Well, just an enormous thank you for joining me, Kathy. I've just really loved the reminder about we are communication experts, but let's not forget that written communication domain. It is something that sits on the back burner sometimes. And it's just been such a great chat um, just to bring that to the forefront of my mind. And I'm sitting here ticking through some of the documents that I give to parents or some of the documents that we provide for our service that I'm like, yeah, not best practice. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It's just been so wonderful catching up with you, Kathy. It has been, Annika, and thank you so much. It's been very easy to chat to you. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Speak Up. Have a great week ahead, and we will be back in your ears next Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.